This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Well, it is really an honor to be asked to record my story. And to be honest with you, when I first came in, I would listen to the CDs and, uh, and I would uh, think one day, I hope I can stay absent long enough so they record my story. And, uh, and here I am today. And uh, so it is, it's really exciting and I feel very emotional right now because I'm so grateful for the recovery that I've been given. It is a miraculous gift. Uh, and um, so I'll start with my numbers. Now the number I liked to hear when I was listening to these CDs was how long people had been abstinent. And I did need to lose weight when I came in, but I was crazy. And I wanted the serenity and calmness that people had. And I saw the longer they were abstinent, the more they had. And so I wanted to make sure that this thing worked because my life depended on this. When I came in, I had nothing left. And I'll, you'll understand that more as I tell my story. But um, so it was the number of how long people had been abstinent was really important to me. So. And then sometimes it's hard to figure out in these CDs as well. So I'm going to tell you my first day of abstinence was April 5th, 2009, 4-5-2009. And so if you're listening to the CD, whenever you're still listening to it, you can do the math and figure out how long I've been abstinent. I will tell you my weight. Uh, the highest weight that I know of was 264 pounds, and I now weigh 140-ish, like 141 and I'm five foot eight. Um, and so I came into recovery when I was 39 years old, and so I'm 47. And uh, so I kind of have to start, I usually like to start at the beginning, but I don't want to confuse you all, so I'm gonna start with some of the gifts I've gotten in recovery. And uh, so I um, came into recovery, and I started my first day walk. I came in in April, I started in September. And, uh, and AWOL is a way of life. It's the way we study the 12 steps. And so I did that, and uh, I would guess it was about, it took about a year for us to get to step five. And, um, and in step five, after we've taken our inventory, we share it with someone. And uh, normally we share it with our sponsor, and that's what I did. So after I shared my story with my sponsor, all kinds of, I have to say, crap came up from childhood. You know, and, uh, and I was really traumatized by it. I was suffering from PSTD. I uh, couldn't take my quiet time unless I was curled up upside down in a ball in my chair. Uh, when it was time to go to bed, the lights had to be on. And um, so, um, you know, I had to have music playing or something. So I went to this therapist who actually helped me find F.A., and uh, he suggested that I go see a trauma therapist. And so I went to see this person. And in our second session, we started talking a little bit about like all the parts that make up me and the different roles that they play and who I am. And so all these roles um, were, were guys. And when I came into FA, I was actually born in a female body and I present completely as a man now. And one of the gifts of recovery is that I discovered that I was a trans man. 
And, um, and I had no idea. I just always thought there was something was wrong with me. I really didn't know what was going on until I came into recovery. It finally became clear. And I apologize for being emotional, but my story is an absolute miracle. And I'm so grateful for everything that I get here that it's just, you'll hear more about my story, what it was like before I came in, but I was a mess. And, uh, and I'm not today. And I had been going to therapy for years. And it wasn't until I started working the 12 steps. It took that therapist two sessions to help me figure out I was trans. I had been going to therapy for years and years and years. And when I'm in the food, nothing else matters. And so, um, so that is one of the gifts. I learn here that I don't have to force anything. You know, in recovery, it becomes clear if it's the right path or not. I just have to be brave to take that step down the path. And I did, and every time I took another step, it felt even better. I had a different name than I have now, and it was a female name, and I went to my sponsor's house. She lived out of town, and I had to go visit her. I think I was doing a, a job search in her area, and I showed up, you know, and she's like, oh, I can't call you that name anymore. So we shortened it because the, the shorter version does fit a male. And so I came back and told all my friends in recovery, and immediately they started calling me my new name. You know, that's just people in recovery are so supportive. You know, no one says, like, what? Are you kidding? Like, they, oh, that's great. Good for you. You know, how brave you are. Right? No matter what it is, as I stand before you is exactly a result of my recovery. So I'm very grateful for that. So but let me go back a little bit and tell you a little bit about what my life was like in disease. Um, when I was a kid, I just liked food. Food was great. You know, you wanted to make me happy, you just got me food. It didn't cause me any problems. And uh, so as I went, you know, I, I was always shy, right? I played in the backyard by myself, but I was kind of content with that. You know, I would have a couple friends, but I am, I'm an introvert. I am not an extrovert. And uh, so I always wanted to be the extrovert, but I wasn't. And, um, you know, that was okay. I was in the, a normal size body up until the time I was about, I think, 34 years old. So I never struggled. People didn't call me fat or, you know, or anything like that. I didn't have a problem with that. And uh, so that was fine. I um, tried to go away to college. I was really shy. And I went away to college and ended up coming back home after about a year and a half. It was a little too much for me. I really do have a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And, um, and so, you know, I came back and finished my schooling uh, in St. Louis where I grew up. And uh, so, um, but still, you know, food wasn't a problem. I was just a shy kind of kid. And I was able to, um, well, at the time I was a woman, so I met another woman. And so I was lesbian at the time. And, um, and we got married. Uh, well, we couldn't legally get married, but uh, we were in a relationship together. And we were in that relationship for 10 years. And um, I just, you know, I couldn't show up for the relationship, you know. I just didn't know how to work through hard problems. Um, and I was just always discontent. And I look back now. We've been divorced. We got divorced in 2003. So um, I look back now and it's like, wow, I can't believe I walked away from that relationship. You know, there was really nothing wrong uh, with it other than me. And she even said that as I was leaving the house or we decided that we were going to split up. She says, you know, it's just you, you know, I can't make you happy. And I thought, oh, she's crazy. And, uh, but she was absolutely right. You know, I just couldn't adjust to the world. 
And then uh, after that, when I got divorced in 2003, I was 33 years old, and um, my depression really set in. You know, I always had anxiety. I did when I was in college, went to a therapist, and things kind of got better. And, uh, but then I got really depressed. I then started to put on weight. I actually went to, I was in therapy at the time, and I went to a psychiatrist, and he put me on psych meds. And I started to put on a lot of weight. And I, to be honest with you, I, I weighed 264 pounds, and you'll see in my picture. Like, I don't care that I'm fat. Like, I had no idea, right? So that's, our disease is very powerful. I have a disease that lies to me. Like, it's the craziest thing. I can't trust my thoughts, you know? And I'm like, good, I'm fine. You know, I'm 264 pounds, and that's okay. Like, who cares? You know, and so, um, yeah, my disease really lies to me. And uh, so, um, yeah, I, you know, I really had a hard time adapting after my divorce. And I started to, I've always had suicidal thoughts since the time I was about 19. That was always in my back pocket. If things got too bad, I will kill myself. And um, so I started to act out on that. I was cutting myself. I got hospitalized uh, a lot for suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And somehow I stabilized a, a little bit. And... Um, I decided that I was kind of uh, isolating, kind of. I was very much an isolator. And so I thought I would maybe join a church group. And uh, so I would go to church, and then after church I would go to the bakery. And uh, the church was, like, right by my house, so I'd walk there and then walk to the bakery and walk home. Well, while I was doing that, I had gone a couple times. Then I went to my doctor, and she diagnosed me with diabetes. And uh, so, you know, I decided that I couldn't have sugar or sweets anymore. So I stopped going to church because there was no reason to go to church because the only reason I was going was to go to the bakery afterwards. So I literally I stopped going to church. So um, and then I just couldn't do normal life functions like the dishes got too much for me. So my therapist suggested that I just throw them out. And I did. I threw them away and just used paper products going forward. Uh, eventually, I couldn't do the laundry anymore. It would just pile up. Simple life tasks were just unbearable for me. And um, so the, la- the laundry would pile up, and I would just you know, pull something out of the pile, shake it off, and put it on. I eventually stopped showering. Uh, I, yet I was, I was working at a job. I was never a good worker. You know, I would be the one who would scream at people, you know, and I would always be called into the boss's office. The one guy asked me one day, he's like, do you have an anger control problem? It's like, you think I just chased the receptionist down the hall screaming at her because she made a mistake. Like, yeah, you know, and I couldn't do anything about it. That was the problem. I wanted to get better. I'd spent hours and thousands and thousands of dollars in therapy. And just things never got better. And they just actually kept getting worse. And I had no idea this was related to food. I really didn't. Um, And I just, you know, I just always ate. I was always hungry. Uh, Later on, when I got into recovery, I did some work with a therapist. And she would ask me, where are you feeling that? And like I told her, you can stop asking that question. Because my answer would always be, I feel it in my stomach. Like, you know, some people feel it in their large muscle groups or something. For me, whatever feeling we were talking about, I felt it in my stomach. I had mistaken that for hunger. I thought, I'm just always hungry, you know? And so, and there was no way that I could be hungry because I ate constantly. I ate in large quantities. When I would go out most of the time, right? I don't have dishes, I have paper plates, I don't really cook at home. I go out and I thought the, the waiters and the waitresses were my friends. That's what I thought friends were. 
Uh, and uh, so I would go out, I'd be having the appetizer, and we'd be thinking about what I was going to be having for dinner. And when I was eating dinner, I was thinking about what I was going to have for dessert. When I was having dessert, I thought about what I was going to have on the way home. I was never satisfied. I was never full. I had eaten so much that it automatically regurgitated on me. But my full meter is broken. I have no concept of that. And um, so that's kind of how life went. If you wanted me to do something, there better be food involved. So when I was married, my wife and I, we would go bicycle riding every Saturday. And we would stop at the Sitco station on the path so I could get the snack. And then we would ride back. You know, for her, I think she enjoyed out being outside riding. And for me, it was like, really, going to the Sitco station was what I was all about. And I didn't realize people got gas at gas stations. <laughs> I didn't, you know, that was the whole big gulp and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so anyhow, so I tried to do the diabetic diet thing for uh, a while. That lasted maybe 30 days. And I decided, that, you know, I was eating three packages of the sugar-free, you know, whatever. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. So I said, forget this. And I just ignored the fact that I had diabetes as it didn't matter. And uh, so fast forward about maybe two years and uh, I say I did buy a house at that time, and I had a dog. And like I said, I couldn't function. And uh, so the poor dog, I had a fenced-in backyard, right? And I, it was too much to let the dog outside. So he literally defecated in the house. You know, that is how bad. There was just trash in my house like you can't even imagine. It was, it was literally a non-functioning human being. It came time to go to work. And I would keep hitting the alarm and keep hitting the alarm, and I would finally get out of bed 10 minutes before I had to get to before work started, and work was a 20-minute drive away, so do the math. And uh, and then I would have to stop on the way, and uh, then when I got to work, I would take a break, and I would go get something at the store, and then I would eat something out for lunch, and then on the way home, I would stop and get a snack, and then I would go out for dinner, and then I would stop and get a snack. Um, it was just constant, and fortunately, I never had to sneak food. I didn't have to hide it. You know, people just thought I was a good eater, and and they didn't see it on my body till later in my life. And uh, so, fast forward to November of 2008, and I started having trouble seeing. Like I, I taught at a business college and couldn't see the people in the back row of the room. So I went to my doctor. And uh, she's like, oh, my God, your diabetes is so out of control. You're losing your eyesight. So there it was. So I came to that jumping off point that they talk about in the big book where I knew that I couldn't continue to eat the way I, I ate. And I probably didn't even ter put it in terms like that. I just knew, like, I, you know, I couldn't continue on like this. Uh, and so I did. I went to the diabetic nurse, and she gave me this diet, this food plan. And uh, I tried it. And, you know, I'm a good restrictor. Uh, there was a point where I was, you know, the 10 years I was married, I weighed less than what I weigh, weigh now. And uh, so I had no problem doing that diet. But what happened is not only did I lose weight, but I lost the will to live. Because at that point, I had nothing left in my life. The only thing that was bringing me joy was going out and eating. And I couldn't do that anymore. So I did. I came to that jumping off point that they talk about in the big book. Um, where I realized, that they say in the big book, that our man realizes that he can't live with alcohol and he can't live without it. And it's a loneliness that only few will know. And it's true. I Don't ask me why it's a loneliness, but it is. It's such a lonely place to be. 
And so I decided that my best route was to commit suicide. And so I attempted it, and I was actually successful. I was found unresponsive in my home, and I was literally brought back to life. And, uh, and then I was discharged from the hospital 10 days later and went out and tried it again. And uh, both times were overdose. Both times were very serious. And after the second overdose, I didn't lose consciousness during that one. And so I was in the ED, and it occurred to me that maybe there might be some reason that I'm alive because I'm a pretty smart person. And, um, you know, and I was really trying. Those were not cries for help. So I decided that maybe there was some reason that I was alive and that I, I put down suicide. It was never an option for me ever again. And it had been an option since I was 19. So I went, I got out of the hospital and uh, went back to my therapist. And um, she asked me to find group therapy. And I went to the group she sent to me and I didn't like it. So she said, all right, find one find a group therapist. And so I lived in Rochester, New York at the time, and I Googled group therapist in Rochester, New York, and found this guy who did therapy on Thursday nights. I didn't teach on Thursday nights. So I uh, called him up and went to see him. He did three intake sessions before uh, you joined the group. And at the second, after the end of the second session, he said, I want you to go check out a 12-step program. There might be some issues in your family. And, uh, and I really wasn't aware of it. I, fish does not know they're wet. And so, but I thought, all right, I think he's probably right. So he gave me the FA brochure. And he said, you can go check out one of these 12-step meetings. You can go to Al-Anon. You can go to AA, whatever you want to go. I just want you to go to a meeting before I see you in two weeks and then come back. And so I take the path of least resistance. And I just went to one of the meetings in the brochure he handed me. Thank you, God, the man didn't say you're 264 pounds. Maybe you need this program. Uh, and so I just went. And uh, I just always thought that there was something wrong with me, that I was broken. And I went to my first meeting and realized I wasn't alone in that and that people had found a solution to that. And uh, for me, I really I came in because I was crazy. The weight loss has just been a wonderful bonus. And, uh, you know, now I go to my doctor and uh, he's like, remind me why I'm checking your A1C, which is your diabetes measure. Uh, you know, like, remind me why? <laughs> he's like, because, you know, seven years ago I was losing my eyesight because of it. And now it's been, they've actually taken it off, that diagnosis off my chart. And um, so I went and um, I heard what I heard at the meeting and I saw all these happy people and I just kept going back. And I was scared to get a uh, sponsor. And uh, finally, you know, I sat down with my first therapist. She didn't know a lot about 12 steps and uh, had heard enough in the meetings that try it for 90 days, what do you have to lose? And, but I didn't want to give control to, of my food to my sponsor. So she said, all right, let's just figure this out. She goes, you know, right now you have no family, you have no friends, um, and um, yeah. I had lost my job at that point, and, uh, and she's like, so what can possibly get worse? And I'm like, oh, point well made, I said to her, point well made. And I thought, let me give this thing a go. So when I came in, though, I knew this was it. Like this, I had nothing left. If this didn't work for me, I was going to commit suicide. And I still tell my sponsor to this day, I said, we don't have to worry about me if I have a break going out and getting fat, like I will literally kill myself in eight days. I, this is a life and death matter for me. And uh, so I went all in 
Don't ask me why, but I was desperate enough. I gave everything to this program. So that first day, I found a sponsor. I had to go out and not only buy my scale, I had to buy plates and dishes, right? You know? <laughs> that poor woman that I called the first day, you know, I called her at some ungodly hour of the morning and I committed my food. She told me the night before what to get. I committed my food. She had to tell me how to prepare the protein from, like, how to preheat the oven to how to grease the pan to, the whole thing, that poor woman had to walk me through everything. And uh, she also taught me to get down on my knees. She told me to, she actually read me the 24-hour day book that morning because I didn't have it. She asked me to take 30 minutes of quiet time. She gave me four numbers, and she said, get a hold of three of these people. Uh, for those of you who've been around along, that was my first miracle. I did get a hold of three of those four people. Like, that was a miracle. God was on my side from the beginning. And uh, from then on, every day I made those phone calls. I hated making those phone calls, but I did it because I knew my life depended on this. And it got better. And I got so much from those phone calls. I was seeing someone um, right before I came in to do this session, and uh, she was one of the people that I talked to at the beginning. Those ladies saved my life. I cannot tell you the number of times I called up about this far from eating and uh, and they, they walked, they talked me down. They, you know, that first year was horrific. The best thing about the first year of abstinence was that it ended after a year. You know, 365 days, and I crossed them off like I was a prisoner in a cell. And, uh, and But I made it. I knew if I kept going, if I stayed abstinent, it would get better because that's what those ladies told me time and time again. It gets better. And that first year was hard because, like, everything was a new thing. The first time my birthday, the first time my mother's death, the first time of my anniversary, the first time of my divorce, all these emotions came up. I was very fortunate in early recovery to be able to work with my doctor to get off my psych meds. I mean, I put that flour and sugar down, and I got better like that. I stopped seeing that therapist I'd seen for like six years. I checked in two more times with my psychiatrist, and she said, you know the number of times I've discharged someone? And she had been around a while, and probably about 20 years in practice. I said, no, how many? She says, two, you and one other person. Like, this doesn't happen. And that all, I never joined that group that, you know, I went to see that group therapist. I didn't need to join this group. Somehow I got everything that I needed here in uh, F.A. And um, so I did all my tools every day. The one day I only did two phone calls, I called and told my sponsor that, you know, that I only did two calls yesterday. She goes, oh, okay, let me help you with your schedule. Figure that out. And then uh, about three weeks later, I called her up, said, oh, I made two phone calls yesterday. And she's like, you know what? I can't do your program for you. You either do it or you don't do it. And so I decided at that time that the path of least resistance was to just make the phone calls instead of having to tell her the next day. And so from then on, I always did. And now those people that I talked to at the beginning, I've known for seven years, you know, that it's not hard to make the phone calls anymore. It's a joy, you know. It's like I want to hear what's going on in your life. I've seen people walk through things. You know, last night I called someone because I know she'd gone on a job interview, and I've known her for like three or four years now, and to see her moving on to this another phase of her life is just amazing. And uh, so it's really, really amazing. I, I decided um, about, I guess about a year and a half into my recovery that I needed to be closer to my sponsor. And so I literally, I sold my house. I got a temporary job in the city that I live now. And I, um, and I moved. I lived in a day's inn for eight days until I could find an apartment. 
and I had a mortgage and a rent and a temporary job. And yet somehow if I stick to what's most important in my life, which is my recovery, it always works out. And uh, sure enough, I actually started looking for a job uh, in the place where I live now. And less than a day later, I had a temporary position. So I think God was ready for me to move. And I did. And I eventually found a permanent job. And I had worked at that job for five years until I got um, a new job here uh, that I'm working at now. I just got a new job. And um, let's see, I found, uh, I started to learn how to talk to people and relate to people. I'm pretty good at conversation now. I wasn't when I first came in. I always taught that on those phone calls. That's why I practice three times a day talking to people and I get better at it. Uh, Probably about maybe three years into recovery, I actually enjoyed going to meetings. When I first went, there was a woman in our fellowship who had been around a long time and she's like, I just love going to my meetings. And like, I can't believe you've been coming to these for 20 years. and it changes. Like at some point, I'm like, oh, I really do enjoy going to my meetings. I've worked the steps in an AWOL. I think I've completed three AWOLs now. And the miracles that happen are just amazing. Not a very social person. Started to become a more social person. I, I joined a, a church group. And uh, I, get, I get pretty much all the spirituality I need from FA. But it's a nice social group that I belong to. And uh, so let me talk about uh, spirituality, uh, because when I came in, I, um, I had no sense of a higher power or God, and that was okay. In fact, my first meeting that I went to, people would say, you know, thank you, God, or whatever, and I would just cringe every time they mentioned God. Uh, and, um, and I was envious of people that did have a strong spirituality. And um, so that's okay. I didn't need it because my sponsor had it enough for both of us. And I simply borrowed her faith until I could replace it with my own. And that, I am so grateful to that woman for that. And she said to me one day, early in recovery, she said, you know, the only thing you have to do today is not eat, and God will take care of everything else, because I'm sure I was stressing out about whatever had to be done that day. And I thought she was crazy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have to do something. And, uh, yeah, to this day, something's going wrong. I think, what do I have to do? And I I don't have to do anything but not eat. And I I did think she was crazy, but she said it with such conviction that I couldn't help believe it. And I heard that from other people that I talked to. I learned the phrase, thank you, God, right away, you know. I learned to practice gratitude. I didn't know what that was. So one day I called up my first sponsor, and she said, you know, you, you you need to hang on to some gratitude. Like, tell me one thing you're grateful for. And I said, lady, I got nothing for you. And she said, all right, well, let's start with the fact that the atmosphere or the the oxygen content in the atmosphere is that in which we can breathe. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right. You know, and now I have such practice of gratitude. No matter what's going on in my life, I've come to the belief that it is God's will. And it might, it usually doesn't coincide with mine. But I know it's okay, you know, like even like getting stuck in traffic behind someone. I really say, thank you, God, for the traffic. I know there's some reason that you need me to be here. She taught me to pray constantly. She said one day, you know, I pray. I ask God what pen I should use at work. I'm like, seriously? Oh, my God. I'm like, God, what pen do you want me to use today? Like, God, help me to talk to this person. I am constantly saying, all right, God, what's next? What do you need me to do next? God, help me to do the job he needs me to do. She taught me to pray for neutrality around food, which I still do. 
Uh, and I have neutrality around food, and I've had neutrality around food for about six and a half years now. The food does not call to me. But I still, I know that's a gift given to me that I have not earned. And so I pray for it all the time, you know. I try to remember when I go into a grocery store, God gave me neutrality around food. Um, you know, and I really do have it. And so what's been most helpful for me is the prayer that I do. So no matter what's going on, I'm grateful for it. I know God has a plan here. I had a woman uh, at my old job that was very difficult to deal with. And my AWOL co-leader would constantly say, wow. Like, God really has something to teach you through that person, doesn't he? And I'm like, yep, not liking the lesson, not liking it. But I know there's something here. And the stuff I have done in my recovery is amazing. Early on in recovery, I called this lady on a Saturday. She was out in California somewhere, and she said, oh, I just got home from buying a mountain bike. And I'm like, we can do that in F.A.? Like, you can go mountain bike riding? Like, seriously? Like, I, you know, I go backpacking now. I go out into the wilderness for six days, and I come back, and I'm still abstinent. You know, we can do anything in recovery. It is just, uh, just amazing. And uh, so grateful for all the people that I've met here. And uh, early on, I called my sponsor one day and said, I'm not feeling like one among many. She said, you know what? You need to get involved. And I then was asked to be on a committee. And uh, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I know that sounds so geeky, but uh, it was really amazing. I've been asked to chair. I was chairing a committee. And, uh, and now I'm involved in a world service work. And someone just asked me, you know, how's the convention going for you? I said, I, I, it's, for me, it's great. Like, I haven't attended one of the sessions, but it's so cool to be a part of something bigger than I am. People come and ask me questions. And, uh, and I, you know, might not have the answer, but I have this whole slew of people that I'm a part of. I text, they text back, I give the person the answer. It is so neat for me to, to realize that I belong somewhere. And that is the feeling that I was looking for, that unbeknownst to me that I was searching for in the food. And I get it here. I get a good way of life. And uh, so for that, I'm very grateful. And thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.